face it, nobody is perfect. That sounds like an obvious statement, but then here we are trying to glue everything together and run around and make sure we present one side of ourselves to the world and for God's sakes, don't show the mess, right? But the reality is this journey that we're all on is super messy and what we don't hear often is remind one another often enough is that, hey, we're all in this. None of us are alone, even if we feel alone. And that's why my guest today is going to be well worth your listen. It was such an inspiring conversation. Um, I sometimes occasionally take notes. I filled up a page of notes and at some point had to stop typing and just listen to my own podcast recording because it was so dense. Um, you are about to hear from Amber Ray, the uh, uh, she is a multifaceted creator, uh, an artist, an entrepreneur, author. Uh, she gives amazing keynotes. Um, and her recent book, uh, Choose Wonder Over Worry, was something that caught my attention two years ago. So we've been working for two years to make this come to life. And here we are, right? Um, so whether you hate the work you're doing, whether you're wondering, you know, what the heck to do with your life, whether you're building a dream or you're stifled as all of us are at some point by fear or doubt or imposter syndrome, um, or you're saying there must be something more than what I'm experiencing right now, this podcast is going to be for you. I'm going to get out of the way for this conversation with yours truly and Amber Ray. You're going to love this. Unlock your gifts to the world. And uh, But before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I got a favor to ask. I've got a new book out. It's called Creative Calling. And of course, I would love for you to pick up a copy or two or 10. But here's why. This is not about a transaction. Of course, I want to sell as many books as I can. But this isn't about my bank account or the publisher. This is about a message and a movement. This is about the fact that there's creativity inside of every person and that if we understand that we each can harness this creativity and use it to channel uh, our, our creativity, not just to make things on a daily basis, yes, that's valuable, but to be able to create the living life that we want for ourselves and ideally for those around us. And right now, everyone has someone in their life who either doesn't identify as a creator or for whom they could use a bump, a nudge, a little bit of a push around their creative calling in life. And it's my hope that this book, I put everything I have into this book, everything. And if you could help me be the messenger for this by delivering them a copy of the book, um, picking up a copy uh, yourself, and of course, sharing that you are reading this book um, with your audience, that would mean everything to me. It's so important that we rally as a community around the ideas that we believe in, and this is my ask to you. So thank you very much. And now, okay, now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the show. I can't believe we finally made it happen. I know. <laughs> two, year, two years in the making. Two years in the making. Uh, um, for the very, like the 30 seconds we were on the phone before, um, I invited the rest of the world into our conversation by hitting record. I was just lamenting that I literally had to like review your book again because I wrote it two years or I read it two <laughs> years ago when we were first trying to get together. So, um, and it was, but it was a great refresher and congratulations on uh, creating a beautiful book in Choose Wonder Over Worry. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I also had a, I was saying that I also had to refresh myself. I almost forgot what I wrote. <laughs> That's right. It's been two and a half, or I guess for those in the book world, you know that you you write the book long before you ever get to talk about it publicly. So well, let, let's just go back to the very beginning, which is uh, for those folks who are new to your universe, give us the, the 60,000 foot um how do you describe you and your work and your place on this amazing planet? Big question. Um, yeah. I'm in, always, always start with the small <laughs> ones, right? I'm an author, artist, and speaker. And really my, my work is devoted to making mental and emotional wellness more mainstream and more normalized as part of the conversation. And I do that through taking the sometimes elusive, difficult, hard to digest concepts like boundaries or imposter syndrome or vulnerability 
and I express them visually through um, through art. And well, that's really what I've been doing over the last. I, I've been studying and exploring this work both through my own self study and and looking at the greats. But um, that's been the the work really and the driving mission for about ten years. And it's really only in the last year that I've started to think about how do I actually make this visual? How do I communicate? something like boundaries or something like imposter syndrome in a, in a square image where someone can instantly get it. So for me, it's really about making it accessible and digestible and even light because sometimes it can feel so heavy. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> imposter syndrome, like everyone who's listening, every single person is like, you know, has been, had that on their shoulders for their entire life probably. Um, well, and that's just for folks who are paying attention. Like that's a, great place to go to your Instagram to see the work. You do an amazing job of visualizing that. I think that was your reference to the square, yep. making it come come to life in a square. Um, and for those folks who want to know, it's Hey Amber Ray, H-E-Y-A-M-B-E-R-R-A-E. So, um, which is, a, you get a really cool feed. It's inspiring. Thank you. Um, but let's go back to why. I think mm-hmm. that's a great, it's a great how um, you've, you know, you're expressing this specifically visually in a way that's accessible. I want to know why, because just to give you some color, and I think you, you're familiar enough with the show to know that, you know, the, the audience that we're speaking to today are primarily creators and entrepreneurs, people who want to maximize their human potential. And of course, things like, uh, vulnerability, authenticity, imposter syndrome, those are all mission critical for that journey, that mission. And I want to know a little bit about why you decided to start studying this. And at one point, just not too long ago, you referenced self-study. So Mm -hmm. clearly, clearly this has (laughs) been a thing. And I want to know why, what you got you started. Yeah, well, I'm a creative with a lot of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And those feelings kept really, um, or I thought those feelings were getting in the way until I realized that it wasn't the feelings, but it was the relationship to the feelings. And yeah, I think we we live in a society that really has low emotional awareness. You know, schools don't teach emotional literacy. We caregivers aren't really equipped to show us how to navigate our emotions. And so a lot of us grow up learning to avoid, numb, reject our feelings. And that was certainly the case for me. And like even deeper background, I I lost my father as a kid. He was a brilliant singer-songwriter and also an entrepreneur. And he you know, he went to pursue his music, but really got caught up, caught up in sex, drugs, and rock and roll and got behind the wheel of a car under the influence, which led to his, uh, the death of him and the death of his best friend. And so I think, you know, not only, I think that was a, a thread for me as a kid, I had this, this void of this father um, paired with this like fierce, incredible mother. Um, and then as a teen, just not knowing what to do with all of my feelings. And how, I mean, how old are you when the tragedy happened there? Um, I was three when the accident happened, but I was 12 when he finally passed because he, he was basically in a coma for a year and then brain dead for like basically oh brain gosh. dead. Um, I'm not using the technical terms, yeah. <laughs> you know, until, yeah. until I was 12. And so, wow. um, and I think, you know, my mom tried the best she could to help me navigate that situation. But, um, you know, they're well, just developmentally, you don't have the skills, right? Totally. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I got to really, you know, as a teen, I, I felt all these feelings, didn't really know what they were coming from, of course, you know, hormones and being a teenager, but also just like living in this modern world. And I, you know, I tried everything to try to like repress or push them away. I struggled with eating disorders and a lot of like body image issues and just negative self-talk and you know, all the feels. And uh, it wasn't until college that um, I, I started using Adderall to try and get more done because it, it would sort of mask the feelings. It made me thinner. And I thought if I was thin, I was beautiful. I had all these, you know, I had all these stories. And uh, that led to a real intense breakdown when I was working in Silicon Valley, where um, I actually had a seizure from the Adderall uh, abuse. And it just like was a huge wake up call moment of like, whoa, how the hell did you get here? And what are you avoiding in yourself? And how do we really, you know, take a close look at these, these narratives that are really driving the show. And so that's, that's really where the, the self-study began and 
had me begin to really start this, this healing journey. Wow. 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 Um, so many things to unpack there. And I, I think, uh, I could probably say with some reasonable certainty that 100% of the people who are listening right now have experienced the desire to fit in the feeling less than the emotional distance. And I love the, the phrase it used emotional literacy, or mm. I think we we've all in some, in some compartment of our life lack emotional literacy. Um, so we go back to the, the why is clear. At what point did you decide to devote your life to this? And, or is that how you would describe it? Certainly your work life. Um, and was there, what was the process from, you know, being in Silicon Valley and maybe you can give us a little color there mm -hmm. to, to writing the book? So it was interesting. So Silicon Valley, this was um, 10 years ago. And I remember going to a few mentors of mine and saying, you know, I'm feeling all these big feelings. I don't know what to do. And one mentor saying, you know, just hustle. <laughs> like, keep up the hustle. Or someone else said, like, Shh, don't tell anyone because they'll think you're weak. And so again, it was, you know, mental and emotional wellness was not part of the cultural zeitgeist at that point. It was looked down upon. It was not safe to feel your feelings. It was not safe to talk about really where you were or what you were going through. And you were seen as weak. You were struggling. And people, you know, might hold that against you. And so my life, my, my response to that was, well, let me just make, I liken it to thinking that my life was Marie Kondo on the outside. Everything looked perfect, but I was fire festival on the inside. I was like a hot mess. <laughs> oh, what a great, a great, great visual there. Clearly you're good at visualizing these things. <laughs> so, you know, I then, because I felt like I, I looked out, outside of me for answers and support and I didn't get it. I decided, well, I'm actually, I got to find a way to support myself. I got to find a way to, to work through this. And I've always been a writer and a journaler, particularly in my teens when I was working through hard things. Writing was a, a vehicle for me to really have a cathartic release and, and process what I was going through. And so I started turning to the page again. And the page led me to start a Tumblr. Tumblr was like, you know, the hot blogging platform back then. And I started a Tumblr just to like write about my feelings and what I was going through. And it was really a place for me to document my own journey, thinking that no one in their right mind would ever have any interest in reading about my internal state. <laughs> and to my surprise, I started having thousands and thousands of people reading my stuff saying, I feel this way too. And that's when I realized, that's actually the moment I probably realized the why and the purpose where I was like, oh, damn, because um, I, I at that point thought I am literally the only human on this planet that feels the way that I do. Something must be wrong with me and I don't belong here and I don't fit in. And when, you know, all of these people began to chime in and say that they, they had a shared experience with me, I realized that there was this like collective wounding and I had the opportunity to both like do my own inner work and go on my own journey and then also hold the mirror for the collective. And so that became like just, it was like this, you know, obvious aha moment um, of just seeing that feedback loop. And then that's, I'd say, you know, of course I had to figure out how to make a living, but I made this crazy decision to uh, quit my job in tech, sell everything I own and move from San Francisco to New York in 48 hours back in, I think that was in 2011 or 2012. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so I was just like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just going. Wow. That is power move there. I don't even know how you do that physically. Like, <laughs> you know, you I mean, sold it to one person. <laughs> I don't like, know. Well, I actually, I like the, the logistics of it and how everything got handed off ended up being a little longer than 20, 48 hours. But in terms of like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Out, I'm out yeah. of here. Happened in 48 hours. I went. And um, it was interesting because then when I landed in New York, of course, there were all the tests, which um, someone at like a VC at a venture capital firm saw my post because I, of course, so I, I get to the airport and I, I write a post about what I'm doing because I hadn't told anyone yet. I was like, I can't tell my mom because she'll try to talk me out of it. And I can't tell anyone else because they'll also try to talk me out of it too. So it was when I got to the um, airport and Hardy had already booked my one way and quit my job that I did call my mom who, you know, she's an entrepreneur and a risk taker. And she was kind of like, be safe and go, baby, go. I believe in you. So that was, that was helpful. 
Um, and before I got on the plane, I wrote this piece and I land in New York. Um, there's no Wi-Fi on planes at this point, of course. And I land in New York and my phone is blowing up because this, this guy at some, you know, big deal VC firm had sent it to his entire, my post for whatever reason, where I'm saying I basically fuck the establishment. I'm going to go find my own way. Um, decided to send it to his entire CEO listserv. And then I had all these job offers coming in. Um, wow. Which was confusing to me. I was like, "Did you read the post?" Um, they're like, "You want someone with your spirit at our company?" I was like, "I don't want to join a company right now." But it was, you know, this time in New York um, was when I really, you know, I feel like was facing these different, very much in the hero's journey, facing these different temptations and tests, while also figuring out, um, like, and beginning to. Sorry, my things making noises. Stop making noises. Beep. Bing, um, bing. <laughs> My my iPad's agreeing with us right now, whatever that is. (laughs) Um, And then New York became a place of really like rapid experimentation, whether that was working with Seth Godin to start a publishing company uh, with Amazon or, you know, working with a shaman or doing, you know, deeper healing work. I was I was doing a blend of these like inner and outer experiments. Amazing. Do you feel like. um, okay, so. Give us a view into experiments. Was this random? Did you have a uh, a methodology for approaching them? You know, I not I, my process is so intuitive that I've struggled to be like here are exactly the steps. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna try right now with you. No, but I, <laughs> first of all, to be crystal, like I love that answer. It just sung to my heart because we know what we need to get better and it's just our, like the discipline to do it. And then it's messy, right? This is yeah. a messy process. Uh, healing is a messy process as it's not linear, it's exploratory. And so that's the perfect answer. I just want to get into a little bit of what you actually did and how you figured it out beyond just whimsy. Yeah. So I, th- I feel like it was a blend of like, like the Seth thing was just going so far outside my comfort zone and being in such a pressure cooker that it like had me move through my fear and resistance so rapidly and face parts of myself that I was unwilling to look at that it was, you know, like that was a version of an experiment. Um, Another version of an experiment was I started something called actually the passion experiment, (laughs) which was um, all these people started reaching out saying, wow, Amber, you've made all these leaps and you're, you're on this journey and I want to take a similar journey. Can you guide me? Uh, Which was, a shock to me because I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Why would anyone want me to support them and guide them? But I figured, well, let's give it a shot. <laughs> and so I started started actually, you know, supporting people and making their own leaps, making their own changes, understanding their inner workings. Um, and to my surprise, people ended up having these like insane results. So that was a version of experiment that then became something called the Bold Academy, which was I looked at what different tech accelerators were doing, why combinators and whatnot. And I, I wondered, why isn't this, why doesn't this exist for your life? Like we have, uh, you know, we're, we're accelerate, accelerating the innovation, but we're not actually working on the innovator or the human behind the, the idea. And so the Bold Academy really became a place to work on that human side of things. And so it, it was like this constant blend of like uh, g- continuing to be in my own introspection, continuing to look at, you know, where my desire to date emotionally unavailable men came from, for example, to discover, oh, I have wounding around my father <laughs> and, to you know, continue to explore that um, with then taking that into a container in the real world and testing it out with other people. So it was like this constant... Um, I, I, I really thrive in feedback loops. So it was this constant feedback loop. Wow. Now, can I start to unpack uh, a couple of the markers you mentioned? You mentioned doing some really deep healing work. And what are, you also mentioned, you know, some stuff with Seth. And, and let's unpack a couple of those. So um, imagining, and part of why I want to do this is to highlight the myriad of things and that there's not one, I think a lot of people talk therapy that is very popular Mm. and very accepted and very understood and uh, mainstream. And what I'm trying to get a little bit more from you is clearly you did a much wider range of things. You talked about writing, you talked about working with Seth, you talked about some deep work, like 
can you sort of categorize for us a couple of more um, ways that you thought about your your own healing? Yeah, so I did. Um, well, I did an ayahuasca journey, so I've actually explored psychedelics. Um, mm-hmm. I have. Um, I've done talk therapy and a lot of that. To be honest, it wasn't yep. the the vehicle that really worked for me, but it actually led me to develop my own methodology where I um, have characters based on my various inner parts and inner selves. So I'd say mm-hmm. the most critical thing I've done is I have like, I've identified like 32 inner characters. <laughs> so I have uh-huh. like Grace, the perfectionist, who's from London and she wants everything in a neat and tidy box and she's terrified of vulnerability. And then I have <laughs> Doc, the imposter. And Doc is a, uh, he's a, professor at Harvard in neuroscience and nothing that I ever say is data informed enough. And, you know, I have all these different Mm -hmm. characters and I'd say, you know, being able to understand what part of me is showing up in in any moment and what that part of me is afraid of and what that part of me needs has been the most uh, transformative practice that I have. Wow. Keep, keep talking. Say more. No, so it's, it, so it, it's yeah. you know, what I've really found is that, you know, and this is what I believed, I thought I was my feelings. I thought every voice and thought that went on inside my head, you're not good enough, you can't do this, what will they think of you, um, this, you know, on and on and on and on. Um, I had a lot of voices. I, th- for a long time, thought those voices were me until I realized, wait, no, these aren't my inner voices. These are actually inherited voices. And now I get to choose what role they play and and how much they lead. And okay, so, okay. so I, mean, I know this is you're on a roll. And so it's totally a faux pas for me to interrupt you. But that is just so good. So fucking good. Like the, the distance between like I'm going to re-say what you said. I thought these were my feelings, but these voices, they weren't me. They were inherited. So. Mm you know, the way I like to think about it, and I'm I'm just giving you a little context of for people who've listened to me say this for a long time here on the show is that your mind is a multi-million year old organ that's not put there to keep you happy. It's put there to keep you alive. And that doesn't actually make for a great experience while you are alive. <laughs> it makes for a horrible exactly. experience. And so you got to get that thing to work for you, not yes. against you or not, not because the reality is there's no saber tooth tiger is going to come eat us and our biology hasn't evolved fast enough in line with sort of technology and the safety of the universe and all that kind of stuff. So what I, what I want to interject and get you to comment on is the voices are inherited. What do you Mm -hmm. mean by that? I mean, the voices in our head come from everything from uh, the media to Uncle Bob or whoever that uncle that said that thing when we were in third grade or the teacher who said our art isn't very good and we have no ability to actually pursue art, whatever that that moment, that whether it's like little trauma or big trauma um, or even generational trauma, baggage that came long before us, that all has created a set of beliefs and stories that really drive the way that we operate oftentimes unconsciously. Dang. It's like you're a pro at this. <laughs> <laughs> you just said that in like a tight little three sentence package that, well, it's, it's in your book clearly for people. <laughs> no, who that want actually more isn't. I, as I was saying it, I was like, this is the I've access flow state. And this yes. interview with you. So I'm like, I need to go back and listen to that. That was good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll make sure you know how to get a hold of this recording. Amazing. But that was lasers. That was seriously lasers. And so part of this, the oh, I want to continue to unpack this because I think right now people are like a person who's jogging right now and they just had to stop. And they're like, <laughs> well, they're, they have their headphones on. They're looking like out over the scene here and they're not doing anything. They're expressionless because you just hit them like a ton of bricks. But that the generational thing, mm. like there's so like I, I think we inherit it's understandable that we would inherit um voices and um uh categorization from the media because that you know it's not really a stretch um and from our parents you know the family of origin is known to be (laughs) a very very powerful thing when you're young informative in the way that you lost your father and 
every, you know, for some, in some way, shape or form, we've all got some trauma around that. The generational thing is really interesting to me. That's not something I'd ever considered. So Mm -hmm. um, can you go a layer deeper there? Because that's like attitudes. Is it millennial? Is it like, is that what you mean by generational or, or tell us more? Oh, interesting. Well, I think there's actually two ways to look at the generational. It's one, um, like looking at your grandparents and your great, great, great grandparents and the more the lineage that you come from and uh-huh. what they had to endure and what they had to go through and the beliefs and stories that really drove their lives. Like that, that's passed down generation after generation and oftentimes can be a part of our really like our DNA or our way of being without us even knowing it. And then of course, I think there is very much the actual like generational where it's like, are are you a millennial or are you a baby boomer? And the stories and the uh, generalizations that, that come along with those different generations can also be something that we internalize and take on as our, our capital T truth. Mm, I love that capital T truth. And in short, we're just these like impressionable sponges and we're whether we want to or not the stuff hits us and a lot of it sticks and from you know coping or biology or timing or developmental stages or there's a hundred reasons and we don't necessarily need to unpack you know the the biology behind it but we just know that they stick and so what i know about your work and specifically choose wonder over worry my primary experience with your work is through the book is that you've given us um, some understanding that, A, this is okay, that everybody has it, and you've given us some tools. So mm-hmm. let's let's keep the flow state and move a little bit out of the why, because now I, I have a really clear, you've helped us understand really clearly that this is an area of knowledge and interest and passion for you. Now let's shift into some, some yeah, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Well, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a gonna, professional. I'm, I'm a professional. Gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to flow and continue the flow a little bit on what I touched Please on do. before, which Please is do. develop and um, like name your critics, I'd say is the very first thing. And um, my, my friend sort of jokes that me building out all these different characters inside my head is sort of like taking multiple uh, personality disorder and making it multiple personality order. And when we can create order out of the chaos, it can really create a sense of calm in our lives. So whether it's, um, you know, a perfectionist voice that's speaking up, name it. Whether it's an imposter voice, name it. Whether it's um, a voice of anger, name it. Or even like a voice of freedom or desire that maybe doesn't have a voice very often. If we can um, identify these different parts of ourselves, what they say, what they sound like, what they need, what they're afraid of, that simple awareness can go so far and having us notice moment by moment um, who's really running the show right now. So I'd say uh, that's, that's one big how. And, you know, in the book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, I bring to life actually two of these parts, worry being the voice of that anxious inner critic that's just always freaked out that everything's going to go terribly wrong and we're not meant to be there and who are we to do this. And then I introduce the other character, Wonder, and Wonder is this curious inner guide, this inner detective, and this part of us that's really encouraging um, us to look at the narratives that we tell ourselves. And so, you know, that's really what I'm getting to here, which is like, be aware and be a witness. This is probably the key how learning to be a witness, because again, we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. Yes, we have feelings. No, we are not our feelings. And the moment we can create that, that healthy distance between us and the, the various voices in our head or sensations through our body, we can take that witness state. And I often liken it to thinking that like in any moment, even right now as I'm on this interview, there's like the witness part of me that's looking down 360 on this situation and is able to have that sort of like unattached um, perspective on this current moment. And, you know, if let's say, you know, I, I, I noticed in the beginning of this interview that I had a little bit of my heart was like beating a little fast because I was, you know, I really care about your audience and I, I care about the work you do. So there's a part of me that like wanted to do a good job. And I could, because I was operating from the place of the witness, I was able to be like, oh, okay, anxiety, you know, the sensation of anxiety is moving through right now. Um, it's okay. We care. And not become or really attach onto that emotion. 
So that is the power of uh, identifying and naming your inner characters and also being able to hold that, that witness posture. Witness posture. That's amazing. To be able to watch your thoughts was, to me, that was a, a very, very powerful thing to learn as a young person, to forget it in my 20s and relearn it in my 30s. This idea that you can watch a feeling go by an emotion and just have a, just, just a little bit of, um, I think it's probably awareness, <laughs> like that, that you aren't your thoughts. It was, you know, it was so powerful. Now, how, what's, what's the practice that enabled you to do that? Is there a particular school of thought or a course of study or some books or literature or how do you, how did you personally come into that experience? A couple of things. One, um, I think everything for me really started with journaling. That's, that's the main, that's where I was able to like, just put on the page what was happening on the inside and to have that healthy distance. Um, and even with journaling, I'd say the most powerful technique I use is I actually talk to the thoughts or talk to the feelings. So like, let's say, you know, anger is really present. I'll be like, Hey, anger, um, I'm here and listening. What is it that you want me to know? And anger, you know, sometimes just needs to like be really pissed off and say what it has to say. But sometimes anger is like, this isn't the right fit and you have to say no, or it's time to set a boundary and anger can have a lot of wisdom. And so I, I like to think that like emotions are often knocking at our door. And if we avoid them, if we avoid the door, we're like, oh, we'll answer it later. It's going to knock louder and louder until we open the door and actually invite them in and let them speak. And so journaling can be that tool to really uh, engage and let the emotion speak or let the thought of um, like, hey, I'm not good enough. I see you being present here. Uh, what is it that uh, you need from me? Or what is it that you want me to know? And again, just like giving the emotion the opportunity to have a voice. So that's, that's you're like part. You're like baby Yoda right now. <laughs> you're like, you've got your little hand with the three fingers up and you're going like, this is, it's such, it's so true. And like, you're, you're just a, it's, it's natural for you to describe this. It's, it's beautiful. So thank you thank very, you. very, very much. Of course, I, lo but, I love this stuff. <laughs> you can't tell. Well, yeah, clearly. So um, let's see where there's like five different ways I can go here. I made it just a couple of notes and I'm going to try and um, I'm going to track back to this idea of becoming self-aware. So you've named it, you're talking to this and I want to explore for those folks who this might be new territory. What is your experience when you do not answer the door? Mm. When I do not answer the door, um, I or feel could you like categorize that your the first twenty years of your life, or is there some? Yeah. You know, talk to me about that. Help me understand. Yeah. If I mean, if I don't answer the door, I feel like uh, they start to like light the door on fire. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I get, there's a gang of them. They start to gang up. Gang. Outside. And and I think there's a really important distinction between um, answer the door and let them in, and let them bring all of their furniture and their suitcase and all of their baggage into my home and let them stay. You know, and I think it's important to to make that that distinction of you're inviting them in to speak, and then they, you get to set boundaries and let them know, thank you. You know, I've listened. Um, you can go now and not just let them totally take over. But, you know, what, what did it, what happened when I didn't answer the door was that my, I mean, my life felt like a hot mess. I felt uh, out of alignment with who I was. I didn't know what I really wanted. Everything felt murky and unclear. I was constantly seeking the approval and validation of everyone else. And it just like, I just felt tired all the time and disconnected. And um, like, I remember looking in the mirror one day and being like, I don't even know who you are. And so it's interesting that I, cause I was so afraid of my feelings thinking that they were going to hurt me um, and they were going to cause me pain. But when I followed my feelings and explored them, that was actually the way through to some of my deepest and greatest healing. You talk a lot in the book about worry. Mm. Would you, is you, would you put a, a huge circle around, is all this categorized under worry or does worry have a special place? Yeah. Worry for me, the way I thought about 
um, worry was just like that constant circling in her voice that spins and spins and spins and spins and, and has you feel a little crazy and sometimes paralyzes or paralyzed me from taking action. Um, and then I think, you know, I, in the book, I bring to life all these different worry myths, which are, I'd say the, the specific characters or flavors of worry that can really run the show. Um, but yeah, I think of worry as that anxious inner voice. Anxious inner voice. Anybody out there have an anxious inner voice? <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? <laughs> oh, man. So can I go back and, and tap into the addiction part of your story? Yeah. Um, would you say that that was um, a mechanism that you used to manage all this stuff? Or are all addictions, do they fall in that category? I'm not a therapist. I've had plenty of it, but I like, I'm, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I'm trying Joe, I'm forgetting his name, Johan Hari, I believe. Um, I might be saying it wrong, but he says that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Mm. And that really, really resonated with me um, because, mm. you know, when I was popping Adderall to like be thin and get more done. It was because I was seeking true, true, deep belonging and connection with the people around me and most importantly with myself. And so, you know, it was like every time I opened the bottle of Adderall, it was like, I was like eating uh, a desire for connection and belonging and I didn't know how to give it to myself. And so that, that just became, yeah, a mechanism to, to run away from the pain. And then this seizure, can you uh, unpack that? Yeah. And it's funny, the seizure wasn't the thing that had me stop. I'm just remembering this moment now that we've gone there. Um, so yeah, I had the seizure. The seizure was in college and I had stayed up, you know, all, I pulled an all nighter. It's silly what education does or like what it did to me. I'm like, I need to ace my test. So I'm going to take a drug and stay up all night so I can answer all the questions correctly. Like when I think about that, I'm like, am I insane? <laughs> And so it was after a test, I'd probably been up like 30 hours at this point and I walked home and I like fell and, um, had like a mini seizure moment and then passed out. And I don't know how long I was there for, but then I woke up and was clearly terrified. So terrified that I told exactly no one what had happened and kind of was just like, okay, I pushed myself too far. I'm not going to, um, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to push myself that far again. But it wasn't until, and this feels really edgy to even share, but it wasn't until I was living in Chicago. Um, I don't think I've shared this anywhere. So it wasn't until I was living in Chicago that I began to write. Um, I had a prescription from a doctor uh, near where I went to school and I could no longer get his prescriptions when I was back living in Chicago. And so I f found a way to like make a fraud version of it. And I would, I would create his prescriptions and take it to my local pharmacy. And for like two years, it worked. Um, until one day I walked into a different pharmacy and they like sniffed it out and called the doctor and the doctor said it was fraud. So I thought I was immediately going to prison and my life was over. Um, and you know, there was a big part of me that wanted to like run out the door, but I realized that this is, I got to face myself now. Like this is like for real, I, what, how did I even get here? How did I get to this rock bottom moment? And um, then the pharmacist came back and he's like, you know, I talked to your doctor and he said he's going to handle it. So like you got really lucky. And then I left and then never heard from the doctor again. So, you know, I think that was like. Wake up call. Wake up call of all the wake up calls. And then I immediately, a friend or my roommate at the time had taken me to the pharmacy and I, I told her I had to pick up. I'm blind. And then I remember getting in the car and I was shaking and I told her everything. Um, and it was actually the first time that I, and it was so important for me to actually voice. I had never said out loud what I was doing, what I was going through. Um, it was all so internal that even that moment um, of being able to verbalize and share in a safe space what I had just done, what I was experiencing, what I was going through was actually a moment, a, a step forward in my healing. How did you escape the clutches of shame in that moment? Or did you just step into it? Was this your first experience of like naming an emotion or was it more raw and unrefined? Like, cause I know uh, just from my own experience and reading up on this and the work of a, a dear friend, Brene Brown, yep. like 
around vulnerability and authenticity and shame, like how did you in the moment find the courage to do that? You know, I was so, I think I had sit, hit such a low that I didn't think it could get much worse, um, much worse. And I was in, incredibly ashamed. I, I, you know, I'm thinking of this moment and I just remember being, feeling like such a mess. And it's funny, my friend, I remember, I can't remember why exactly, but my friend, well, besides the obvious of why, but my friend was upset with me because like we had inconvenienced her, I think, to go to the pharmacy. (laughs) And so like, she's upset with me. I feel deeply ashamed. She's also worried that like I might go to jail. And it was, you know, I would say it was probably the most, um, it was not a, it was probably one of my first experiences naming my emotions. And so with that, um, it was probably one of the messiest moments of my life. And I don't even know if like how, I think I realized it wasn't even about courage. I just realized I had no choice but to sort of admit defeat. Wow. Is it fair to say that your opportunity came out of that moment? Because if you didn't have that moment and you, it's sort of, I'm, I'm, curious about your your thoughts on that relationship that you have it can be with a, a drug or a, a substance or a emotion or some relationship actually human relationship where it's never gets so bad that it that you never hit rock bottom but you just hover at a like a minus 10 for a really long time or it's like it's not the relationship's not it's only bad when it's bad and then it's mediocre all the time, then you never actually are able to set yourself free from it because you don't have that rock bottom low where you are going to get in trouble for fraud and, and whatnot. Yeah. So was it, was it from like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand, did, did your moment come because of the preceding moment, your moment to sort of, you know, take action or, and for someone who doesn't have that moment, but is listening right now and going like, I'm living like a D plus life right now. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. Tell me, tell me about your experience. And then since you've done so much work here, do you have thoughts on for the person who's doesn't have that life. rock bottom moment, but um, doesn't have enough motivation to take action? Yeah. I mean, the unfortunate truth, and I've thought about this a lot, if I, if the pharmacist would not have uh, caught my fake prescription, I wonder how much longer I would have gone on living a lie. And I think it would have gone on a lot longer than uh, I would like to admit. Mm-hmm. And because it was, I was like, it was mediocre. It was working and working in a very non-working way. But it wasn't until that, that I realized, you know, holy shit, I can't do this anymore. And like, I'm also like, considering that my father struggled with addiction and it led him to get behind the wheel of a vehicle, I also very clearly, um, I hadn't until that moment, but very clearly in that moment realized that I was following in my father's footsteps, which is something that I said I would never do. And so it was kind of like, shit. (laughs) Yeah, you get caught in that pickle, you get like, oh man, I'm busted. by, By my own detective work, I'm busted. Yeah, and... So I think for, you know, for someone who's living that, that D life, I, you know, I would wonder like, what's the benefit you're getting from staying there? And, um, because, you know, everything has a benefit and the reason I was staying in that situation is the benefit was that it actually seemed like comfortable. I felt a sense of control. I, um, you know, it just, I didn't have to change. I didn't have to face myself. I didn't have to do the scary thing. And so I, you know, I'd get clear on like why you're exactly where you are right now. What's the, what's the benefit? What's the payoff? Um, and then even like the thought exercise of how much worse does it have to get for you to change? And what actually, you know, I hate to bring death into it, but like life ends in 30 days. What would you do differently? And I think, you know, sometimes I think death and particularly, you know, losing my dad, that brought to life very clearly that life is fragile. And so I think sometimes, it, you know, I hate to say that sometimes people need that wake up call to make, make the change. Yeah. Um, but how can you create your own wake up call? Like this is your wake up call. I'm um, and so, you can actually I'm, create it for yourself. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by that and obsessed by it. And in my book, uh, there's a there's a chapter, a subchapter called Wake Up Call. And I had had several other people close to me dying, me 
you know, coming as close to death as you can come. And like what I've become obsessed with in re you know, retreading that work for myself and writing the book, it's a hard time to, you know, it's like to put your arms around that thing and find out what it, what that moment caused for you. It's like, and part of the reason for my asking the question is why do we need to get hit upside the head in order to figure this out? I wish I had the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Why, like why, why as a species do we seem to need these big moments in order to, I can't, what, couldn't it be just like on a walk? Or on a nice like Zen retreat or sitting by the fire, you're like, boom, epiphany, action. And I think it's like, I don't know. So I've become obsessed with trying to find out how to make those big changes in life without the, the, um, that, that moment, that catastrophic mm-hmm. like, wake up call. Well, I'm so curious. What have you discovered? <laughs> um, oh, man. Well, in, in I think the, the closest, I have come to being able to say anything meaningful about it is in the book. And essentially it's this, it's an awareness practice of mm. asking. It's, it's, this, it's similar to what you prescribed. It's just this awareness of being willing and able to consistently ask yourself these questions mm. and have an honest dialogue with, with yourself. And, <clears throat> um, Part of the, you know, you said, and I wish I don't want to turn her to death, but like the 30 day exercise or the, for me, it was on the backside of almost dying. And Mm. it was literally the night after staring at the ceiling, like what meaning can I take from this? Because we all, when we're faced with our mortality, for those of us who have been faced with it, um, you know, there's this, there's a yearn for meaning, or at least I yearn for meaning. Like, okay, is it really just going to be like lights out, snuff the candle, and then no more? And it's like that makes you, for some reason, value life all that more, all that much more, or it mm. did for me. And so if you can, to avoid having to go to that depth, like what's a mechanism? And it's like just reg- a, a program of regu- regularly checking in. And that's, you know, see see my earlier point about a, relationship that's not quite bad enough to get out of mm-hmm. it's comfortable and it's okay and it's a little bit beige um you know i'm terrified of beige now on the <laughs> other side of this stuff like not not the color nothing against you beige you're okay you're you're the color of a lot of walls in mm-hmm. institutional buildings and i don't love that but to me there's this uh, having a regular practice and you know it sounds like for you that was journaling among other things as to me, that's the root, you know, what is the, what is the, um, dialogue that you have with yourself in an honest way, whether that's written or meditation or mm-hmm. mindfulness, I don't know. that's the best I've come up with. And it certainly isn't good. And it's certainly not near, not as tight as Amber Ray would put it. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you. Mm, Thank you for well. sharing. Um, all right. I'd like to, to, uh, shift gears a little bit. And first of all, acknowledge your vulnerability and thank you for sharing because there's people right now that are nodding their head in their car and at their desk. And um, and I want to shift gears to the A, helping people understand that that this is not a one-off and this is, you know, that people aren't alone. And then um, B, focus on the gifts that we all have to give. You, mm-hmm. you go deep into that in the book. Um, so share with us if you would on those two topics. So on the, you are not alone front. Um, what comes to me right now is I think it was Sir Ken Robinson said that the great tragedy of modern living is that, uh, the fear of not being enough and the fear of being the only one, um, is that we think I'm totally botching this, but like basically like the great tragedy of modern life is that we think we're alone and we're the only one that feels the way that we do when actually that's the thing that we have the most in common with, with everyone else. Um, and I remember when I came across that idea, um, that, that was like such a beautiful crystallizing moment for me of realizing, wait, what if I actually began to share myself and realize that, um, or just like reach out and share my struggles, like what might happen? And that became an active practice for me so much so that I actually started gathering people at my home to play this like game I created called Wonder Blocks. And on the other side of these little Wonder Blocks are questions like, 
what are you struggling with right now? What are you avoiding? Why? My childhood was dot, dot, dot. Just as ways to get people to have really meaningful conversations. And it was this total experiment. And I distinctly remember this one where um, at the table, it was like such an interesting array of people. We had like a Grammy-nominated musician and we had like a ballerina and we had an ad exec and we had someone who just graduated from uh, college. We had someone who had no idea what they were doing with their life. It was like very diverse group. Um, and someone pulled uh, a block that had them answer that basically they don't feel like they, um, I think it was the musician. He didn't feel like he deserved his award. Um, he didn't feel like he, uh, he felt like he was going to be found out. Basically he was dealing with imposter syndrome and the echo in the room and the feeling in the room of when he shared and revealed that part of himself, it, I could like, you could feel the relief, um, that everyone else felt knowing that they weren't they that they felt that too and they weren't the only one and i just think there's you know there's this and and it's i even sometimes i even though i know this i sometimes forget that when i am going through something i'm not the only one who's experiencing it and as soon as i have the moment of courage to actually open up and share in a safe space um what i'm going through it you know it brings so much lightness and ease realizing that you know there's thousands of other people who are millions who are are feeling the way that you do too and is that enough for us to feel that we're not alone or uh as as the uh, is that the unlock or is there personal work that has to go along with that good question i think that is i think that's the unlock i think that's the like you know imagine if we have 50 pounds on our shoulders i feel like that like sort of takes the weight off but then it's you know i think anytime we don't feel belonging in the world it's because we're not feeling belonging within ourselves and so i think the invitation is okay where in my like where in my life have i am i not feeling like i belong where does that come from and how can i meet my own needs what do i need in this moment and how can i actually move in that direction so i love that yes it's the unlock to a, a larger invitation there's the um are, are our gifts like the, how do we, how do we recognize our gifts? You know, you, you mentioned you, you got a bunch of talented people around and what I love and what I've learned clearly, you, you know, this and part of why you had a diverse group at your dinner is like that there's some, some, there's special, special aspects of every person and person who may not be physically gifted is, you know, has a powerful brain, a person who might be emotionally um, resonant might lack, um, you know, critical thinking skills or mm -hmm. like, there's this, like, and we end up in, in places and parts of the world where that highlight our inefficiencies or our, mm -hmm. like for, for a lot of people, um, it's the school system and they didn't mm -hmm. do well in school. They develop a set of uh, you know, self-esteem around what school was like for them, either scholastically or socially or fill in the blank. And then there's this, that sort of is, becomes a defining, um, characteristic or a label that they, you know, that we all carry around with us. And, mm -hmm. um, so how do you get out of all of the things that culture has programmed? Be good at school. Um, be nice to look at, be, well, you know, well groomed or like <laughs> there's any list of trite little uh, colloquialisms that we think about people um, and we make judgments on. But if you are, as we all um, are, you know, there's shadow sides of ourselves that we don't want to, how do we access our gifts? How do we tap into the thing that is our special gift, not just to the world, but to our, ourselves even? So I think of um, that the image that's coming to mind right now is an onion, which is not the most beautiful image, or even actually an oyster. Let's say an oyster is like, you know, in the muck, and the muck is in the hard shell is all of the uh, conditioning and layers. I, li I like the onion because it's layers, and I think that the onion shows like layers of programming, who you were told you were supposed to be, um, and really it's a peeling back process. So we peel back layer by layer. Okay. This layer of like my husband, for example, he's, you know, such a brilliant and out of box thinking entrepreneur who like didn't, never graduated high school, never graduated college, went and dropped out of Columbia. 
because like the school system for him just like did not work. And, you know, he had to work through like, you know, you know, am I smart enough um, to do this? And, you know, the different things that he inherited as a result of that lived experience. And so we get to look at whatever that story and whatever that, that life experience is. Um, do I believe, do I truly believe this? Like, is this true for me? And like, whether it's like, okay, so I didn't, you know, perform well in school, but is it true that I'm actually, you know, not smart? And what evidence do I have to prove that this isn't true? And uh, it's it's really yeah, being that investigator um, and looking at those layers. And as we you know begin to peel back these different stories that we're telling ourselves and investigate them and see what we really hold true, I think beneath that and within that is that now I'm going back to the oyster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that pearl? Is that is that gift? Um, and so, and I think it's a two part process because it's like peeling back these layers, and that's going to reveal. Like I think of when I did the artist's way, and the artist's way was this twelve week journey where every week I was looking at basically some bullshit story I was telling myself, um, and through that I was like, "Whoa, I'm really creative." And the only way that the creativity came through me was first by looking at uh, where I was holding myself back, what inner obstacles or inner stories were in the way. And it was once I was able to peel back or uh, that layer, then it was like a surge of something came through, whether that was an idea or a, uh, like a nudge of something that I loved to do as a child that I had completely forgotten about um, or the desire to like, you know, go to this uh, new art show. And, and this was before I was even making art, just because for whatever reason that I don't understand, I now want to be surrounded by art. And so I I liken the process of discovering your gift to really moving through the obstacle and then listening to what's emerging on the other side, listening to where you're feeling called, what you're feeling curious about, uh, where you're feeling nudged. Um, Even so for me, my body actually like will like move in a direction when I feel uh, called to something. So notice your body language. Notice when you expand. Notice when you can contra- contract. And that entire process is like becoming the blueprint of discovering your gift. The blueprint of discovery. You <laughs> speak in like finished prose. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. You said so many words like in, like, uh, um, gosh, intuition, uh, awareness moving in a direction. Um, how, how do you cultivate those things? I hate to, hate to keep throwing the journaling thing down, but no, um, this is like, I want to know. Yeah, like, like, I don't want the, the uh, textbook answer. I want like, yeah. how do you specifically uncork it? Yeah. For me, listening to myself is, well, it comes twofold. So I actually last night at 2am um, got the idea for my second book and wrote out the entire outline. Um, it was up until like 4.30 in the morning because I was trying to do a meditation to fall asleep and in about like, I don't know, a minute and a half. And I feel like this isn't how you're supposed to meditate. You're supposed to watch and witness your thoughts and not allow yourself to go down creative channels. But you know what? Who cares? That's right. So- <laughs> but the irony is that meditation is actually the process of bringing yourself back once you leave. Right? Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's not like the objective is not to never leave. The, the, yeah. like there's a, everybody knows that everyone's going to wander and your job is to bring yourself back. But boy, so you had this epiphany and you just went for it. So like, yes, yeah, so like two minutes into the meditation, literally I like heard a whisper that said the, the entire title of my book, book subtitle. And like the, like, if I explain the idea, here's how you explain it. And I literally sat up and I was like, holy shit. And so I was like, sorry, meditation. I'll see you later. And I like grabbed my, grabbed my laptop and just like wrote out the entire thing. I already sent it to my agent. It's funny. She texted me while um, we're on this call. So I feel like intuition can speak, you know, so loudly in these unexpected moments, which the irony is that for two years, I've been asking myself, what is my next book? And feeling really annoyed that I have no idea. And of course, like having to, I feel like in December, November, I decided, you know, screw it. I don't even know if I want to write a second book right now. Um, I'm going to relinquish control. I have other priorities. Um, I'm just letting it go. And of course, once I let it go, um, it just came to me. (laughs) So I, you know, I think intuition can speak in these uh, moments when we get out of our own way and we stop trying to 
to control the process. And, um, and then I can, it speaks to me, intuition speaks to me every day when I, again, open my journal and put pen to paper. And sometimes I literally directly address intuition, like intuition, I'm here and listening, like, can you guide me? Um, and I think asking for guidance, guidance, which is something I learned, I recently um, did a workshop with Julia Cameron of The Artist's Way. And uh, wow. that's like a big thing that she is always talking about, you know, ask for the guidance. And it, it seems so obvious, but it's like, are we ever actually asking like, dear, <laughs> higher power, universe, intuition, source, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, will you guide me? Yeah, it's not a thing I hear regularly <laughs> out in the world. Everyone's like, well, dear God, I think a lot of people are, if if they have a religious uh, aspect to their background, that might be. But for those other folks, yeah, like I, I, it's not a common thing to ask for guidance, but to the concept of getting out of your way and um, like tuning in, that's a very, very, very powerful. And I think that's a part of our, it, it, to me, this is a growing, there's like a growing, I don't know if movement is the right word. But when I started paying attention to that part of me, it's it's literally like when I I feel like I became the person that I am mm. is when I started to like acknowledge like, nope, everyone else says do this, but my intuition is saying do that. And the difference between this and that might be hard, but it's only going to be hard for a while. And, you know, as soon as I started leaning into that, boy, did everything just get more awesome. Mm-hmm. So I think totally the more we can, can, can condition that. Um, so you mentioned prior to last night at 2am and the text you just received from your agent while we're on this call, which I love, this is real time action here. I love it. <laughs> um, you said, I got, I got a lot of stuff going. I don't need this right now. Um, you know, whether those are stories that you told yourself <laughs> or actual, like well, what else you got in the hopper? What, what is entertaining you? right now? Ooh, I am working on a whole physical product line, which is really lighting me up. I, over the last, since my book came out, did so many talks that I almost got burnt out on, I got burnt out on talks and burnt out on talking about worry and wonder. (laughs) And, um, and so decided to just uh, think about you know, other ways to bring the message to life. And so I'm working on a, a journal product, which obviously based on this conversation makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I cracked the concept around Christmas and I, it's like every, it's just making me so excited. Um, I don't want to talk about what it is just yet, but it's a journal I haven't seen on the market. So um, I'm stoked about how it can support people with navigating their emotions and accessing the feelings they want to feel is really the idea behind it. Um, and then I'm commercializing. People keep asking for um, the Wonder Blocks game, which is the way of. I was just going to ask about that. When yeah. You said physical, like that. Go back to that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that it's it's funny how and a friend of mine, writer Carol, he created the Bullet Journal, um, and I was asking him for design, like advice on approaching the journal, and he said something so brilliant that has become my like guiding design principle. He said when he was creating. Um, the bullet journal method for him, he shared only what he truly knew and what truly worked for him. No more, no less. And so that really helped me narrow in because sometimes I, I'm like, what does my audience need and what can I create to serve their need? But that actually takes me out of, I think, at least how creativity happens for me, which is it has like, what do I know? What has truly worked for me? And how can I turn that into something that will work for others too? has been more um, my process. And so him giving me that guideline was like, I was like, whoa, I have all these tools in my everyday life that I'm using. Why don't I actually make them into a product line? So that's, that's what I'm creating next. Wow. Super exciting. And now you got another book you got to get on too. Totally. (laughs) When it rains and pours in the best way. Seriously. (laughs) Oh man. Um, What else do you want to tell us? Oh man, I feel complete actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I just made the little heart sign with my hands. I'm <laughs> complete. Um, uh, all right, so let's find out some coordinates for you because the folks at home uh, are going to want to pay more attention to you now. And what do you what do you think the best way for them to do that is? 
So Instagram is definitely uh, my favorite social platform of choice, and I'm constantly sharing new art and visuals. So I'm Hey Amber Ray on that. You can also find me at amberray.com and sign up for my email there. I'm working on a whole series called Meet Your Feelings, where every week you'll get a new emotion in your inbox to explore. Um, and I think those are the places. Those are good places. <laughs> and and again, the, uh, the paperback's coming out Yes. Uh, we're in the first couple of days of January here and paperback's coming out this month. Um, yes. Hardback. I just noticed the hardback is on sale right now, as is mine. So they're, I think Amazon's pushing stuff and stuff right now. So if you're like me and you can't wait, um, <laughs> go to choose wonder over worry and pick it up. It is just a beautiful gift to the world. And thank you so much for writing it. I want to acknowledge you. And like, it was just a, it was like a master vision clinic in <laughs> like seriously i want you to go back and listen to this because i'm on the other end of this and like my got saucer eyes here i'm taking notes and my mouth is open i'm like holy smokes you're just shooting lasers here so thank um you. thank you so much for being um present and vulnerable and sharing and i'm finally we got this to happen i know now we just have to meet in real life I know, I know. I got all kinds of like product questions for you too. I think Ooh. that's a really, yeah, it's really intriguing the uh, the the journal concept that you're working on. And um, I was I was as soon as you started talking about that block game, like mm. like okay, that's a thing for for sure. You have to do that if you haven't already. So, yep. Um, yep. In person is next, and uh, we should make that happen. Amazing. This is great. And thank you for reminding me to promote my book because I forgot about that. <laughs> As I often do, I like, every time I speak, I'll get off of my friends like, why didn't you mention your book? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh -oh. And speaking of friends, do you remember? I don't even remember how we met. I'm trying to um, – I think I – Wait, have we met? We haven't met in real life, have we? No, not in real life, I don't think. Well, this is no. in um, in digital life. I think we met somewhere. Oh, Elle Luna. Oh, my gosh. I love Elle. Yeah. Is that, she's amazing. Is that, she introduced us. I remember. Oh my gosh. I'm going to text think, her in two minutes and say thank you so much. <laughs> I think I was actually staying with her at her place like the day that your interview with her came out. Oh my gosh. And, and she was like, oh my God, you have to be on the show. She is a superhero too. She's mm -hmm. like, not all of them wear capes. She is a superhero. Um, well, I'm going to give her a thank you and say one more time, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we, uh, we have learned a lot and we got a lot of work to do. So um, stay tuned and thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn so check that out they're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet all right until again uh, probably tomorrow i hope i'll hear you i'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and i'll look for your comments on the internets bye